Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, and it may not be for all audiences. This episode contains a quote that mentions date rape, so listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is season five, episode 10, the final episode of this season. What? Yes, we are so excited for you all to join us. Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee. Today we'll be discussing the 1960 Italian gothic horror film Black Sunday, a.k.a. The Mask of Satan. It was directed by Mario Bava. The screenplay, which was written by Ennio Di Concini and Mario Serendre, is based on the horror novella V by Nikolai Gogol. The film stars Barbara Steele, John Richardson, Andrea Cecchi, and Ivo Garani. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you did it, Abby. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, we're not shy about spoilers. So if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this recording and watch it first. Still here? Okay then, let's get this morning started. Before Mario Bava became a director, he had made his career as a cinematographer for over 30 films. After taking the reins as director on multiple troubled film productions, which had lost their directors for various reasons, Bava earned the well-deserved respect of the studio Galatea Film. The studio told Bava that he could make any film that he wanted. A lover of Russian fantasy and horror, Bava decided to adapt Nikolai Gogol's 1835 horror story, V, into a feature film. However, the resultant screenplay owed very little to Gogol at all, and seemed to be more of a tribute to the atmospheric black-and-white gothic horror films of the 1930s, especially those produced by Universal Studios. For the role of the evil Asa and her innocent descendant Katya, Bava noted, quote, a strange type was needed, and we chose English actor Barbara Steele from pictures. Bava reportedly found Steele difficult to work with, though. According to Bava, the actress was, quote, somewhat irrational, afraid of Italians. Oh, what? <laughs> and one day she refused to come to the set because somebody told her I was using a special film stock that made people appear naked. What the heck? So, Steele never denied that she was a difficult actor to work with. Oh. Steele recalled in the book Faster and Furiouser, quote, Lord alone knows I was difficult enough. I didn't like my fangs. I had them changed three times. And eventually the fangs, I believe, were removed for the movie. Yeah. She also said, quote, I loathed my wig. I changed that four times. I couldn't understand Italian. I certainly didn't want to allow them to tear open my dress and expose my breasts. So they got a double. That I didn't like at all. So I ended up doing it myself. Drunk, 
barely over 18, embarrassed, and not very easy to be around. Oh, no. And she says that she was barely over 18, but I'm pretty sure she was like 23 or 24 when she did this film. (laughs) Oh, no. She just sounds like a character. She does. (laughs) Good for her. So Steele also recalled what it was like to work with Bava in an interview with Tim Lucas for the video, for Video Watchdog. She said he was, quote, very quiet, very intimate, very low-key, very one-to-one. He wasn't at all highly charged like most Italian directors. (laughs) He was warm and delicate with us. This was his first film, and he was trying to direct and be a cinematographer at the same time. Also, he was deathly ill, as was everybody else. We were all dying during the shooting of Black Sunday. It was freezing. We shot for three or four weeks in December. There was no heat, and it was one of those Arctic Roman winters. Everyone had some terrible virus, and we were totally asphyxiated by all the dry ice. It's just as well that the film was dubbed later, because everyone was utterly nasal. Oh my god, that's so upsetting. (laughs) Right, and for those of you who might not know, um, Italian films are notorious for being dubbed. Yeah. And that's because everybody on set would speak in their own language. So if you watch Black Sunday, you'll notice that Barbara Steele and I believe the actor who played Andre, uh, they are both, uh, they have English accents at least, and they uh, speak English. And so they were speaking English, but you'll see, like, um, Dr. Kuvayan, who is, I believe, is the actor's Italian, he is speaking Italian. And you'll see that their their mouths don't quite match up with the English dub. Oh, my God. Um, and so that's that's usually how Italian films were made. Everyone would speak their own language and just hope that the other person was saying the line that they were supposed to respond to. So... <laughs> um, but God. Barbara was also not dubbed with... Uh, the same actress. Actually, she is very notorious for being dubbed by different English-speaking actresses. Wow. I think there's only, like, one or two films where you can actually hear her real voice. That's crazy. Yeah, for some reason. I'm not sure why. Hmm. So some of Steele's frustration with the film was arguably warranted. Apparently, she never saw a complete screenplay for the film. Instead, she was simply handed the scenes she would play and her dialogue every morning of the production. Oy. According to Steele, quote, We were given the pages day to day. We had hardly any idea what was going down on that film. We had no idea of the end or the beginning either. Not at all. Oh, my God. (laughs) Unquote. Jeez. The film premiered in Italy on August 11th, 1960. The film was a modest success, grossing $140 million, which was approximately $87 million, earning back nearly all of the production cost. In 1961, it was distributed in U.S., France, Japan, Mexico, and West Germany. In 1962, it was shown for the first time in Austria and Denmark. The film was then seen in Sweden in 1963, and then finally Finland in 1964. But it was banned in the U.K. until June 1968 due to its violent content. Wow. Black Sunday proved to perform much better outside of Italy and was particularly successful in France and the United States. 
According to Glenn Erickson in Censorship for a Celebrated Horror Film, Black Sunday, quote, In order to make the film more accessible to American audiences, American International Pictures, AIP, trimmed over three minutes worth of violence and objectionable content. <laughs> the sequences that were shortened included the burning of the S brand on Asa's flesh and the blood spewing from the mask after it was hammered onto her face. Huh. And, like, the eyeball impalement was taken out, apparently, and the flesh peeling off of the person's face and, like, people being burned to death. Like, all of that was taken out. So despite being censored, the film still had moments of very graphic, for its time, scenes of horror and violence. AIP tested several titles for the film, including Witchcraft, The Curse, Vengeance, and Demonic. <laughs> before finally entitling their shortened version Black Sunday. The film premiered in the United States on February 15th, 1961, and it was presented as a movie to be like a double feature with Roger Corman's Little Shop of Horrors. Aww. Upon its theatrical release in the United States, critics generally responded with enthusiasm to Bava's film, many of whom recognized the director as a potential master of the horror genre. Variety noted, quote, There is a sufficient cinematography, ingenuity, and production flair to keep the audience pleasantly unnerved. And Time Magazine said that the film was, quote, a piece of fine Italian handiwork that atones for its ludicrous lapses <laughs> with brilliant intuitions of the spectral. Mm. And, you know, almost 60 years later, Black Sunday's legacy lives onward in writers and filmmakers alike, including Beetlejuice and Sleepy Hollow director Tim Burton, who is quoted as saying, one of the movies that remains with me probably stronger than anything is Black Sunday. There's a lot of old films, Bava's in particular, where the vibe and the feeling is what it's all about. The feeling's a mixture of eroticism, of sex, of horror, and starkness of image. And to me, that is more real than what most people would consider realism in films. True. Yeah, so with that said, Abby, would you please remind us all of the plot? I sure will. In the 17th century, a vampire witch named Aza Vida is put to death along with her lover, Prince Javutic, by her brother for her crimes of witchcraft and Satan worship. Before having a spiked mask nailed to her face, Aza places a curse on the Vida name and is sealed in a tomb along with her lover several miles away from the Vida castle. Two centuries later, Dr. Kruvayan and his assistant, Andrei Gorobek, stumble upon the tomb after their wagon breaks down. Through their explorations, they come across the preserved body of Aza, and in an effort to get a better look at her corpse, Dr. Kruvayan cuts his hand on the glass that encased her lifeless body and spills his blood on her face. As they leave the tomb, they meet Katya Vida, a descendant of Aza and daughter of the current Prince Vida. She now lives in the Vida castle with her father and brother, Constantine. Young Andre is smitten by Katya's beauty, and after their brief encounter, the doctors travel to a nearby inn. 
We learn of the superstition that surrounds the Vida name as Katya, Constantine, and Prince Vida discuss the mysterious paintings of Asa and Javutich, and how they seem to have a foreboding grip over Katya. She is clearly frightened of the painting, and she bears an obvious and haunting resemblance to the late witch Asa. Meanwhile, Asa is brought back to life by the drops of Kruvayan's blood that landed on her skin during the exploration of her burial site. She summons her lover Javutich from the grave as she awakens and commands him to kill Prince Vida. He makes his way to the castle, following her orders, but when he arrives to Prince Vida's chamber, he is warded off by a crucifix that he holds up in defense after seeing his ghastly, deformed face. Javutich flees, but Vida is left sick and paralyzed with fear. Remembering her encounter with the doctors, Katya sends her servant to the local inn to bring them to the castle at once, but the servant is killed by Javutich before he can make it there. Javutich brings the doctor back to the castle, and Kruvayan is drawn to the tomb of Aza once again, and this time, she entices him with promises of pleasure and trade for a kiss that turns him into her servant. Asa's plan is to drain Katya, her descendant and mirror image, and use her life force to return to her most powerful form. And with the help of Kruvayan, Vida is murdered and Katya is left vulnerable and in danger of being killed. Javutich brings Katya to the tomb and leaves her in the hands of Asa, who prepares to drain her. She is stopped, however, because Katya is wearing a crucifix around her neck. And as Andre enters the tomb to save Katya, in a moment of confusion, he mistakenly thinks that the identical Asa is actually Katya, and he almost stakes Katya in the heart at the bequest of the plotting witch. However, he notices the crucifix around Katya's neck and rips open Asa's robe to reveal her undead, skeletal body beneath. The local priest and villagers storm the gravesite as this happens, and they burn Asa alive, killing her, and Katya awakens from near death and is reunited with Andre. Yay! What a wild story! <laughs> so, the Bechtel test. It doesn't pass. Um, the innkeeper and her daughter Sonia have a few conversations about chores and milking the cow, but unfortunately the innkeeper doesn't have a name. Uh, I don't think Asa and Katya ever speak, even though they're played by the same person, but they're two different characters. I don't think they ever actually speak to each other. No, yeah. So let's look at Nancy's dream team test. Was the supporting cast at least 50% women? No. Did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? No. Was the final girl or main character a person of color? No. Were there any openly LGBTQ plus characters in the film? No. (laughs) (laughs) So here you go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So before we continue with the discussion, I want to uh, shout out Steve Johnson, who wrote the very in-depth article, Belladonna, Lilith, Gaia, and the Spectral Mother in Mario Bava's Black Sunday. You guys, this article was a huge part of our research, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it was really interesting, and it's a really long, really in-depth article, so definitely check it out. It's in the show notes. All right, so let's talk about owning our duality as women. According to Christopher Davis, Steele cemented her place in horror movie history by playing the dual role of Princess Asa Vida, a witch-vampire hybrid. 
and Katya Vaida, her victim. After describing Steele's, like, erythral, like, presence, he ends his article saying, quote, Horror is unsettling when it challenges our preconceptions of what it is to be a monster, what it is to be a victim, indeed, what it is to be human or not quite, as the case may be, unquote. So this story kind of reminds me of the new film Us. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Adelaide and her tethered red in Jordan Peele's new film. Wow, yeah. This whole idea of duality and actors playing their characters or to, sort of like shadow selves, really. Mm-hmm. It's also a big part of um, Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem, which I feel like um, draws a lot of influence from this film. Because Heidi, the main character, has these, like, two very different sides of her personality, and it has to do with her lineage, just like Katya. Right. And it is a constant struggle for both women to feel comfortable because of the mystery that shrouds their lives and, like, this constant threat that they feel has been handed down through the generations of their family. I actually really like how you brought up Lords of Salem because Heidi's background is that she comes from a very Puritan family. And so the fact that, you know, she has this curse upon her to give birth to Satan's child or whatever, right? Yeah, is, yeah. Is a huge duality compared to her lineage. So, yes. you know, I love that. And so according to Manny's Book of Dark Shadows blog, Quote, but Steele is not just a pretty face. She could hold her own alongside the big boys in the horror film genre. In many of her films, she would even play two roles, right? One of a put-upon heroine and the other of her evil doppelganger. Mm. And according to Rob Talbot, much of the film's power comes from the young Steele's depiction of Asa, contrasted with her role as quote-unquote good descendant Katya. As Asa, she is at once seductive and terrifying. Even as she lies on her slab, her face still covered in puncture marks from the hideous mask, she seduces Kruvayan with her malefic influence. She writhers orgasmically as she drains the life force from Katya and appears to derive a sexual frisson from every act of evil. Katya, on the other hand, is quote-unquote innocent and quote-unquote safe, and hence a hell of a lot less interesting to anyone but Andre. Bad girls really do have all the fun, it seems, but of course they must lose everything in the end, unquote. Yeah, and, you know, another thing I want to point out, too, um, speaking of, like, duality and characters and stuff, we'll talk more about the male figures in this film later on, but I want to point out that there's this really strange scene between Katya and Andre after Katya faints and Andre is watching over her in bed. She is, like, groaning, and it sounds super sexual, and his right. hands are, like, just hovering above her boobs, and he sees the crucifix, and he just kind of, like, he stops himself from going any further, and it's like, did you stop because Jesus was watching, or did you stop because it's the right thing to do as a human? Right. And it just feels like he's about to take advantage of her as she's passed out, and I feel like the film is here is kind of trying to make a statement that like women will tempt you but you have to keep god in your thoughts because if you don't women will make you stray from the path of righteousness and this small scene seems to shoulder a lot of the blame on like women and victims in general 
But it's just very interesting, like, the male versus the female duality in this film. Yes. I don't know. I or, just... or what men think of women in... Like, they kind of put women in a box of duality. Like, right. We talked about this a lot in our witch episode, of course, but women are either innocent and pure or they're, like, temptress and seductive, like, devil women. And they're either or and both. This is an interesting point because there's an article by Erica Amdahl called The Duality of Women. And in this article, she talks about a 1907 painting by Belgium artist Ferdinand Knopf. Mm -hmm. And it's called Un Masque à la Tenture, Mauve. Quote, while exploring works of symbolist movement conveying ideas of sexuality and femininity through unorthodox and irrational images strained from realism, I found a common theme here, the duality of women, especially in Un Masque à la Tenure Mauve. Ferdinand Knopf possesses multiple of his own meanings behind the interaction of a close-up of an orange woman's face and the female figurine she holds amplifying the sexuality and mystique of the female form, Knopf contrasts the fervent stare of the red-headed woman against the aura of a blue orb surrounding the nude female figurine. The contrasting colors of blue and orange are overwhelming, yet calming. The discrepancy in the forms of the two females makes them seem unrelated, yet connected. The mystique of womanhood most efficiently reflects Knopf's themes of irresolution and vagueness. He provokes viewers to look for an answer to his works, which he never provides. In Un Masque à la Tenure Mauve, the idea of a quote-unquote mask within the image forces viewers to expand their perception of the definition of a mask and create a connection with the woman's face. Many believe the mask is representative of the woman's deception, forcing her to have a one-dimensional personality. Sort of like how Asa is one-dimensional and Katya is one-dimensional. So to go back to Erica's quote, she says, truthfully, I do not see Kanoff as forcing the redheaded figure's complexity into submission by covering her with a quote-unquote mask of sensuality. Instead, I view the piece as layering multitudes of emotions on top of each other, intentionally making the figure's personality harder to read. So oh, wow. I love this because Asa also wears a mask, the mask of Satan. But she does not choose to wear this mask. The mask is forced upon her by her patriarchal brother. So not only is she forced to wear it, but so is Javutich, who is her male follower and her lover. And I think this whole idea of duality is challenged here because Asa is not just a witch. She is many things. She's complicated, like any human, you know? And I think mm -hmm. we can really question who is really the sinister force here and who is forcing this whole idea of duality onto women. And I think it's the men because if we want to look at this metaphorically, Katya and uh, Asa are could be the same person and they are just sort of like separated into these two one-dimensional characters, not realizing that I think we have to look at this film as them being the same person. Right. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. 
We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. <laughs> mm-hmm. So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. So let's sort of speak about like the blurred lines here, right? So good and evil. According to Rob Talbot, the forces of good, quote unquote good, here are the aggressors, the sinister robed figures, in fact, more reminiscent of the Satanists seen on lurid paperback covers of the day. So yeah, like her brother (laughs) is the one who's all dressed in like these dark robes and he looks really scary. So Rob Talbot continues and says, quote, those brawny masked executioners with their unwholesome BDSM connotations come across as self-righteous sadistic fanatics using their church as justification for the worst kinds of oppression. The viewer's sympathy, at least initially, is not with them, but with the darkly beautiful woman, Asa. And they're the ones who are being bound and tortured. We are told that she has committed quote-unquote evil deeds, but what were they to warrant this, you know? And what on earth is monstrous love? Like, her brother says that she has this monstrous love, and she, by her own admission, is a servant of Satan, a witch, but the viewer still shares in her rage and her betrayal at the hands of her own brother and can't help but admire her defiance in the face of a situation where any normal person would be whimpering like a baby. Mm-hmm. So let's continue on with this whole monstrous love thing. Um, you could argue yeah. that the scenes dealing with Andre and Katya's budding romance are rather flat, right? And unconvincing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but if we look at Javutic and Asa, they're like love is intense and it resonates. I mean, for what, 200 years, they're still connected to each other. This is the monstrous love that her brother is talking about in the beginning, we assume. Um, Mm -hmm. And we, like, we could kind of think like, okay, well, maybe they had sex before they were married. Like, who knows, like, what he's talking about here. But... Mario Bava scholar Tim Lucas, who we mentioned earlier in the introduction, he suggests in the audio commentary for the film that Asa and Javutic are brother and sister, therefore explaining their monstrous act as incest. And this is interesting in comparison with Katya and her 
brother, Constantine, as well. Her brother is a very minor character, and if taken out of the film, I don't think he'd be missed, to be honest. Uh, again, a flat cardboard connection to Katya, while Javutic and Asa have a more interesting dynamic. Well, I sort of like that we aren't given the specific details of their relationship, and it's, like, left up to the imagination. And perhaps it has more to do with, uh, like, the politics of the time, because Asa is a princess, and maybe she was meant to marry a different suitor. Or perhaps her brother wanted to eliminate any, like, female part of the Vida bloodline, and in turn... Asa places a curse on all of the sons of his family. So, and there's something very ancient about Asa's power, and I think it has a lot to do with, like, being buried beneath years and years of domestication and patriarchy. Like, it's almost as if Asa was the last of her kind within her land or, like, within that region, and her brother was trying to create a new generation of subservient women in place of the witches and powerful women that existed in ages prior. Perhaps her monstrous love was that of feminine power, and the hate that existed within her was actually her hate for this, like, new society of men. Kind of like the same way that Lilith was actually cast out for refusing to be subservient to Adam after she fell in love with Samael, I think is how you say his name. Um, and he was like a destructive angel of God. So perhaps her story is much like that of Lilith's with Javutich reflecting Samael. Yeah, and you know, we're going to talk more about Lilith in a minute because there are a lot of connections to goddesses and this whole idea of Greek and pagan power in this film. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about the spectral mother in Mario Bava's Black Sunday. So Asa is a figurative intermediary. There is a literal chronological one in her descendant, Masha, who is born a hundred years between the other two women. She suggests like a combination of the extremes of female identity implied by Asa's like evil and Katya's innocence and purity, especially as like all are embodied by the same actress, Barbara Steele. And I believe we only see a painting of Masha, but it's it's Barbara Steele. It's her image. So really, these three women who were born all of these years apart going back to this whole thing of duality, like, this actually kind of completes the circle here. Like, the three of them are all the same. And, you know, Masha is never seen in the flesh, right? Like Asa and Katya. She has a spiritual presence. And she is what Madeline Spregnether, uh, she has termed this uh, whole idea of, like, the spectral mother. And from her book, The Spectral Mother, Freud, Feminism, and Psychoanalysis, the spectral mother is a psychological device bridging the young woman's transport from girl to independently identified adult personality. Now, what's interesting about this, that's the scientific explanation of the spectral mother, but it is something that has been in our, like, our system, in our very bones 
like since the beginning of time because this tactic is also used in fairy tales. It's explained by Dr. Clarissa Pincola Estes in her book, Women Who Run With Wolves. She says, quote, to develop her intuitive life, our main heroine must leave the protective too good mother to dive into the unknown, unquote. So either the heroine wanders off from her mother like Little Red Riding Hood or her too good mother dies like Cinderella. So this whole idea of the spectral mother is a huge part of our of our very being. And I mean, even after fairy tales like and before Black Sunday, it was prominent in English Gothic literature and media too. Like we can look at books like The Secret Garden, where both mother figures who are twins are dead and Mary and Colin, the children in the story, are forced to grow up motherless, but they do so with the help of each other. So they're sort of bridging that gap between having a mother uh, and then not having a mother and having to survive and then growing up. So in her book, Monstrous Motherhood, 18th Century Culture and the Ideology of Domesticity, Marilyn Franca states, The spectral mother in literature creates a narrative through her absent presence. In her absent and surveilling forms, the spectral mother demonstrates the multiple ways women fill multiple roles, maternal and non-maternal, simultaneously. In doing so, the spectral mother neither celebrates nor decries domestic ideology so much as she interrogates it. By revealing its limitations, the spectral mother questions the efficacy of the domestic vision and of motherhood, with its expectations of self-erasure, privacy, endless duties to others, and deference to the patriarchy. The spectral mother opens the maternal discourse in literature, for she could be inscribed upon endlessly. The spectral mother displaces the flaws of real mothers and experiments with socially satisfying possibilities of motherhood. The spectral mother also satisfies the desire to be haunted, to find oneself obsessed by the spectral images of those one loves. So Masha is like the force that ties Asa and Katya together to create this trifecta a maternal, virginal, caring character, and the complete opposite, the sexual, evil character with Masha caught in the middle. Both are powerful in their own way, but they present challenges to the way we view, like, feminine power and how it is used. So they're really, (laughs) honestly, there isn't any resolve brought about by the spectral mother, I think, in this circumstance, because the evil is vanquished, and the subservient good character falls into the arms of her love interest in the end. So, in a way, like, the patriarchy kind of wins in this film. And it's, like, icky. (laughs) You know how I wish this film would end? Is if uh, it was Asa all along. Yes. That would have been a great twist, especially for a 1960s black and white film. Yes! Oh my god! Can you imagine if that had been the twist where he did accidentally kill Katya and Asa? It was free at the end. Yeah. That would Hmm. be incredible. Think about it, won't you? (laughs) Let us know what you guys think. Yes, please do. 
So I love how you mentioned the triple goddess because that is exactly what I was thinking too. Like Asa and Masha and Katya are like the mother maiden crone. Uh, Asa being the crone though and Masha being the maiden and Katya being, oh no, and Masha being the mother and Katya being the maiden. Uh, This form is actually very common. The power of three can be seen in many belief systems, like oh yeah, literature and modern media. I mean, there's the three furies and and like the fates and the omens, right? In like Greek mythology, and then we have um, Macbeth's like weird sisters in Shakespeare, and then we have Dracula's vampire brides and then of course in like modern like movies we have hocus pocus and there's the three sisters and then we also have the witches of eastwick which are three and you know we've mentioned the triple goddess multiple times on the show like we talked about it in beetlejuice we talked about it in the witch and we talked about it in suspiria too like it's not an uncommon symbol especially in horror films that have to do with witches Asa, in particular, as as Steve Johnson points out, has many connections to also the aggressive Lilith, like Abby, you mentioned earlier. Like, Asa's character is resonant of other women whose history spanned cultures and religious doctrines, right? And then Lilith, leaving Adam, like, in Hebrew legend, she's described as, like, this angry, aggressive, strong person, You know, another mythological personification of the powerful woman also comes from, like, Hinduism, too, because we have Kali, who is described as the Black Mother, the Dark Mother of the Night. That is a very telling description that sounds much like Asa, in my opinion. Yes, I love Kali. She's my keeper. She Kali's your keeper? She is, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Ganesh is mine. Who is? Ganesh. Yes, perfect. I love it. Oh, my God. So let's talk a little bit about the scenery in this film, which is just gorgeous. I love Mm -hmm. this film, and it's perfect in black and white. So the atmosphere in this film unravels in, like, this desolate and dehydrated anti-Eden. It sort of reminds me of a forest recovering from a fire. It's like hellfire. So this would make sense uh, because Javutich and Asa's deaths do not solve anything for this town. Asa's satanic curse still lingers in the air and it chokes the earth surrounding it. Like even the church, which is a place of worship, right, for God, has been tainted and it's no longer holy. And the entire family lives in fear of Asa's curse. And because they're afraid, much like a mirror, their interior feelings are expressed in the interior. And that, to me, is like the basic sto- like story structure surrounding haunted house films, too. Like, it's always the people who are haunted and not the actual house. Right. Like, the house just absorbs the energy from the people there. And that's exactly what's happened to this land. Yes. Like, there's the overwhelming feeling of, like, death and dread, and the whole area is in a continuous state of mourning, because it's like Katja's sadness adds to the atmosphere, like you said, so. And, like, speaking of, like, the sadness and fear, like, Katya's family, the men, are 
all afraid that she will be possessed by Asa someday, much like Masha might have been, right? Mm -hmm. And this fear is mentioned earlier, like it's reflected in the earth. How did Masha die? From an earthquake. Mm -hmm. So again, it's not so much Asa's curse that's like killing everybody. It's the fear that the family is like projecting into the world. And I think that that fear and that sadness is what's making the earth fall apart around them. And I think that if we want to look at this metaphorically, like this, this, these men's like these men's like a rational fear of powerful women is what's killing them. Yes. Is what's killing them and the women. And I mean, like, (laughs) you know, so this fear is so strong that destroys everybody, including the earth. And yeah, it's not really Asa's curse at all. Like you mentioned earlier, it's the men's curse. Yeah. And, you know, according to Emile Bruet, women were more likely to be singled out as witches because men at the time felt like, quote, she is more credulous and less experienced than man. She is more curious. Her nature is more impressionable and she is more ill-natured. She is prompt to take revenge. She falls more quickly into despair. And finally, she is more talkative. So that if one of her companions is a victim of sorcery, she is quick to spread the news. What the heck? Yeah. So dumb. So basically women equal weak, right? <laughs> so they're more likely to do magic and they must be watched out for. And I just, my eyes are rolling <laughs> so far into the back of my head. I want to throw I can hear up. From here. Ugh. We're miles apart and I can hear your eyes roll. so yeah so even after all these years since asa's death you know 200 to be exact the men are still getting sick over keeping their women safe when they actually are doing more harm than good you know if katya's father had simply had a conversation with her about her family's history (laughs) katya would have been able to look after herself because knowledge is power and for the entirety of the film she's told like oh, don't be sad and don't worry or, like, just calm down, Katya. But, like, she's kept in the dark about everything. And, like, even after her father dies, her brother tells her, like, not to look at the corpse because he's afraid that she can't handle it. And it's like, listen, I think you men need to calm down. (laughs) Really? I think the men in this are more, like amped up they're more irrational than anyone yes i mean even like if you look at the innkeeper and her daughter like her daughter doesn't want to go milk the cow she doesn't want to do it and i don't think it's not that she's actually afraid is that she just doesn't want to go she just doesn't want to or something and then like the mom's like you'll be fine just go and so she does and then nothing happens to her like actually like the victims in this are all men yeah really katya i guess is like the ultimate victim in the film but really like everybody falls victim to asa everyone who does they're all men so it's like the women are very resilient in this According to Steve Johnson, when a movie skips forward in time the way Black Sunday does from prologue to film present day, especially when the leap is as drastic as it is here, the implication is that the resuming narrative is taking place in the same mental space as before, even if the temporal situation has changed. The body may have moved on, but the mind remains stuck, right? 
Asa's curse then plays as a post-hypnotic suggestion triggered by the discovery of her suitably preserved corpse, the relic of a bygone day that refuses to succumb to the decay of forgetting until resolved in the chamber of the mind it resides in. This is actually really interesting because when Asa is being burned alive, Andre says to the priest that he's heartbroken that Katya will die along with Asa and that, like, Asa stole her beauty. And he remarks that her young body is lifeless. And a lot of the focus isn't particularly on Katya herself and, like, who she is as a person, but on her beauty, which Asa is renowned for. So the same thing that is such a big part of the witch's identity becomes this sort of, like, weird, fetishized, like, part of Katya's love interest. Like, he is fixated on her because he wants her body. And he stops at nothing to, like, quote-unquote, save Katya from a force that has a mind of her own that doesn't intend on obeying the laws or, like, societal norms of men. So she has to be destroyed. And even though her beauty is the it's the same because they're identical. The mind of Asa poses a threat to Andre, but helpless, sad Katya is an easy target for his advances. So I just think that that is pretty interesting, like yes. in that context. So uh, let's kind of go a little off topic um, because I noticed there was a lot of dragon imagery in this film. Yes. Way more than I remember when I first wa watched this film. <laughs> Uh, there's a dragon on the family crest, right? And there's also a dragon on the fireplace. And Asa is buried in a tomb with an image of St. George, who, in legends, slayed a dragon to save a princess. Now, St. George in Russia and the Ukraine represents Christianity, while the dragon represents the Golden Horde, which is Mongol territory. Mm -hmm. The original author of V, right, which this film is based off on, he is from Ukraine. So, yeah, that imagery is in there. And in general, dragons in Europe just represent evil, ferocity, and wickedness. Uh, and this is really interesting to me because compared to, like, Asian culture, it's, like, the complete opposite. In China, like, dragons represent strength and good luck. Like, you are lucky if you're born in the year of the dragon. Right. So this duality uh -huh, of a uh. dragon is kind of amazing to me that it's in the film. Well, okay, so I also did a little bit of research of, as far as, like, dragon imagery in Europe, and found this really great article on Wikipedia. Everybody yeah. give them your money. <laughs> but it basically said that the Order of the Dragon was a monarchical chivalric order for selected nobility founded in 1408 by Sigismund von Luxemburg, who was the king of Hungary at the time and later became the Holy Roman Emperor. And it was fashioned after the military orders of the Crusades, requiring its initiates to defend the cross and fight the enemies of Christianity, in particular, the Ottoman Empire. So the order flourished during the first half of the 15th century, primarily in Germany and Italy. And after Sigismund's death in 1437, its importance declined in Western Europe. However, 
After the fall of Constantinople in 1453, it continued to play a role in Hungary, Croatia, Albania, Serbia, and Romania, which bore the brunt of the Ottoman incursions. And the Prince of Wallachia, Vlad Dracul, father of Vlad the Impaler, oh. took his name from the Order of the Dragon. So yes. the dragon imagery literally has its roots in like vampire lore and kind of started with Vlad the Impaler, who we all know was the inspiration for Dracula. Wow. So, I know. So it's kind of crazy how, like, the meaning got, like, flipped around somewhere. Like, and I think that it's kind of funny that the mask, which is, like, the mask of Satan, is, like, a dragon. And it's a representation of Satan, but at the same time, it's supposed to be, like this really fierce mascot for the people who were part of the crusades and stuff who wanted to defeat the enemies of christianity it's just so wild it's kind of like how christianity sometimes will like take pagan traditions like the christmas tree and that kind of thing and like flip it around and give it a christian meaning so wow that's kind of wild yes dang <sighs> Okay, well, let's get into our final thought, killing the spirit of independence in women. Yeah, so what strikes me most about this film is that Aza, like we've mentioned a few times now, is fiercely independent and she opposes social norms, right? Like, this film is all about the efforts of men trying to thwart that female power and what it takes to stifle the spirit of independent women. And, like, why is this such an important theme, especially in a movie made in the 1960s? Um, well, in an article from Psychology Today titled, Why, <laughs> why Do People Hate Smart Women? <laughs> by <laughs> Michael Carson. Wow! Yeah. On the he nose, makes, psychology today. I know. Well, it's kind of like um, a compilation of, you know, reasons and psychological research and stuff like that. But Michael Carson, the author, kind of makes a fair point, And he says that smart women often refute men's theory of mind. And theory of mind refers to our ability to infer that other people have what we have thoughts, feelings, agendas, and perspectives. And calling this a theory of mind unnecessarily complicates it, but still it's a useful metaphor for how we treat others, for whether we see them as human. So first, our verbal community teaches us to consider ourselves a mental creature, and then it teaches us to include others as well in that category. Not everyone is included, most especially people from different tribes and people who are to be treated as less than fully human. So, like, enemies, servants, foreigners, and for men, women. Violence typically depends on depersonalization, meaning that the violent actor's theory of mind does not extend to the victim, because the main evidence we have of our own mental life involves the words we hear in our heads. And it's harder for people who speak another language or even in an accent, to convince you that they have real thoughts. And parents recognize when their toddlers suddenly express intentions and opinions, but much incidental or unconscious racism and sexism 
can be clarified by asking whether one person can imagine that the other is having intelligent thoughts. Mm. An important date rape drug question is, why would anyone want to have sex with an unconscious woman? One answer might be that such men think all young women are always without consequences, like aromatic donuts. Oh, no. Yeah, the system of inclusion or exclusion among the fully human is upset when someone who is not authorized to have a mind reveals one. So this perfectly sums up how both Asa and Katya are treated, Even though they're on opposite ends of the personality and motivation spectrum, both women are intelligent and threatening to the men in their lives. Asa, because of her demonic powers and ability to draw life in the form of her vampirism, and Katya, whose kindness and beauty are a heavy influence on those around her. Asa is too powerful to be controlled, therefore she must be obliterated. Mm-hmm. Katya is too nice and too defenseless to be left on her own and needs a man in her life that can take care of her or she will perish. Oh my god. Yeah, so either way, the men in this film tend to present more harm than anything under the guise of being like the good guys who vanquish evil and save the damsel in distress. This whole situation began because of the intolerance for Asa's religious practices and independent lifestyle. And had she been free to be who she was, the curse never would have come to fruition. Yes, I love that. Well, thanks, but this movie is a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's really important in the horror genre, and just in genre film in general. Well, you guys, that's it for this week's episode of Good Morning, Nancy. This is the final episode of the season, so we're going to be taking a few weeks off before season six. In the meantime, don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts and more. Head on over to www.goodmorningnancy.com merch and click the shirt icon to be taken to our shop. And if you're not already a patron, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy for some sweet extra content in your coffee. I actually want to shout out our Ellen Ripley patrons. There are $25 patrons and they are so amazing. We have James and Jarvis and Michael. Like you guys, thank you so, so much. You keep the show going. We're so appreciative of you. We wouldn't be here without you, so thank you. And if you want to become a patron, like I said, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy. You can also help support the show by following us on social media. Facebook at goodmorningnancy, Twitter at goodmorningnan, and Instagram at goodmorningnancypodcast. We're also on Tumblr at goodmorningnancy. If you're listening to our podcast on iTunes, please leave a review. It helps us so much. You can also tell a friend and spread the word about our show. We love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye.